0: Thank you, Miss Meg, as always. As we uh, come to this time of study, I want to thank you again for coming and joining us in our study today. And if you're visiting with us, we are in a uh, long journey through the book of Mark, uh, which will be done by this November. That is a promise. But if you were in Sunday school today or small group, you got another big surprise that uh, you're going to be studying through the book of Mark in Sunday school for three months and also through the sermon series. So praise God we are here And the book of Mark is here too, and uh, someone said we need a third, fourth, and fifth mark. Well, you've gotten enough sermons out of it. I think we've already crossed that line. We're on like the seventh and eighth mark, so it's all good. But we invite your attention to Mark chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, uh, you can use that Blue Pew Bible. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, the the, uh, big numbers are chapter numbers, the small numbers are verse numbers. We're in big number 11, small number 12 through 14 as we do. Well, our family has experienced a little bit of this this week as we've uh, come full circle with sickness. But, little johnny was feeling very queasy in church one day and if you're a parent you always hate these times because what do you do with them do you take them out do you what do you do and he said mom i think i'm going to throw up and she told him well go outside throw up behind the bushes and come back and sit down you gotta you need to listen for church right so he bolted out of the door all seven-year-old little johnny at this point but less than a minute later, he returned to a seat. He looked greatly relieved, big smile on his face. Mom said, did you make it all the way to the bushes? Yeah, I didn't have to, though. I just got to the front door, and I found the box that said, for the sick, and I threw up in there instead. When you're seven, you do what your mama tells you, amen? And that's what you do. And sometimes we do things, if you don't understand what that is, in some churches they have a box like this that says, For the sick, and he threw up in the box that said, Some of you are thinking about that until the Royals win the World Series again, and that's a long time. But there is something to be said, isn't there, about knowing what you're there for, what the purpose of something is for. And for this young man, he thought he was in the place to get sick, but that was also the place for the clothes and all the other articles of things given to the sick. And as we enter this, this part of Mark, I want to remind you so much that what we are going to end up doing is seeing Mark and uh, get in the way of, of the Jews once again. Mark is going to record an episode where you look at it and you say, how can this be? Why is this happening this way? But Jesus is going to show us once again how it is going to be. Andy, do I need to switch out mics? I'm cutting through. Okay. Uh, uh, we're using this one. All right. All right, is that better? Okay, much better. Sometimes things don't work out the way you think they should, do they? And you know the history of Israel, that that they were called by God. They had great years under David. And then all these years later, at the time of the Messiah, when it seems like things are going so well, and they're doing all the things God wants them to do, in fact, it's the very things that they are doing that God is not pleased with. But God reminded them so many times in the Old Testament that what they should be aiming for was right here, but so often as we do, they went off over here. Joshua 21.45 says it this way, Not a word has failed or any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All has come to pass. And that's good news, because this episode we're going to be getting into talks about what it means to seek God even in the midst of false religion just as little Johnny thought that box was for the purpose that his mom told him to do so Israel thought the things they were doing were for the things they were supposed to be doing but really they were doing it in their own pride and their own sin i mean if you had to describe what it means to to walk away from god what would that look like would it be as obvious as what we're going to see today Or would it be something that you need to see differently in your life to say, you know, for me, walking away from God would mean this. But the root of it all, guys, comes back to this one thing. We often aim for the straight line, but we turn to the right and to the left, don't we? To the purpose God has told us not to do. And there's a surprising picture in this episode of how people forsake God. And so this morning, the big idea is very clear. And the big idea is just the the summary of the sermon is that we are saved by faith, not by fruit, But we won't be saved by a fruitless faith. Because like Israel, like little Johnny, there are so many people who think if they can just cross off the check marks of what it means to be religious, then they are good. Now, you've heard that phrase before, haven't you? That Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Have you heard that before? You've seen that bumper sticker? That's half true and half not true. It is a relationship. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But there's also a fact that there are things you have to do. It's great when you get a new job, isn't it? And you can put on your Facebook profile, hey, I work at such and such. And you feel that pride. But then Monday morning comes around and you actually have to step in the building for the first time. And it feels a little bit different. In the same way. This faith that you have, you are not just saved out of hell insurance. You are saved to bear fruit, to go forward, as it says in James, to care for the poor, the widows, the orphans, and do all that God has told you to do. And yes, in a sense, that is a religion because you have a relationship. It is both and. And this nation of Israel, as we will find, was a nation that had so much religiosity They really didn't have a whole lot of relationship. They had a whole lot of flair, a whole lot of show, but there wasn't much else there. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way, The tree that doesn't grow from the fruit, but the fruit from the tree. The gospel is the root, and good works are the fruit of the tree. So this morning, two crucial truths about false religion I want you to see as we start out. Two points. Last week we had four. This week we had two. If you divide it again, next week we'll have one if you want to figure it out that way. Two things our Savior curses this morning. It's very straightforward from the text. Our Savior curses fraud, religious fraud. People who say they're one thing and act a completely different way, and he also curses fruitlessness or unfruitfulness is another way to say it. And you may recall a, few, a couple weeks ago that we're on the heels of Jesus entering the last week of his life. He came in with a big bang, and he came in with a big parade, and, and, and now he's going to go to the temple, and we'll see that next week. And, and this was this temple was built by Herod the Great from 19 B.C. until the end of 64 A.D. and would be destroyed in 70 A.D., but before he gets to the temple, Jesus is hungry. And he's going to give a lesson that, and uh, uh, we were talking about this before, about how many atheist uh, commentators will often say this passage is just, uh, it's just stupid. Why does Jesus curse a tree? That's really weird. Why does he do that? The reason is because he's making that picture that he's going to be talking about for the next several days. That Israel, the lion is here. You have gone here, 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 and here, but you're supposed to be right here. And as he goes, he's going to make a lesson out of a tree. Don't pity the tree. Pity the nation of the tree that did not follow what he said. And I want to be very clear. Jesus isn't a spoiled brat here. He's not angry. He doesn't have any malice. And it's not a temper tantrum like our kids would do and your kids would do and they don't get their way. He's teaching a lesson. Either you're going to bear fruit and show forth you know me or you're not going to bear fruit and show forth you do not know me. That's what we're going for today. If you're able this morning, we stand in honor of God's Word. If you're able today, just three short verses. And I promise this is a, if you have not got your Bible reading today, you could probably memorize these by the time we're done this morning. It is so short. But Mark 11, 12 through 14, hear the word of the Lord this morning. On the following day, this is the day after Jesus entered Jerusalem from Bethany and Bethpage. He's going up to Jerusalem, now going back down. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season. And verse 14, he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And if you go down to verse 20, we'll be here in a couple weeks, Mark eleven twenty. 20. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said, and Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and jesus answered them and said have faith in god what does all this mean we'll get unpack it today as we pray will you join me as we close uh, out the intro and go to the body here father thank you so much we praise you lord that often in our own messiness our lives are not on the straight and narrow we go to the right we go to the left father we do the things that are not intended to be uh father that you've intended them for like little johnny in that silly story like israel in real life in the old testament Father, the the Bible is just a record, really, of all of us amazing sinners saved by the the, the thrice-holy, amazing God of grace. Father, we are so lost, even, Lord, even sometimes in you, because our sinfulness overrides our desire to be godly. Father, forgive us, but thank you for your grace. Father, as we go through this passage, give us wisdom thank you for the clarity, Lord, that we are not saved by our fruit, but the fruit of our lives shows that we are truly saved if we be in Christ. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Maybe see that. Thank you. Well, as we get through here, I want you to see first what our Savior curses, and and he curses fraud. You notice that in verse 12, and they're walking as Jesus is. They're walking from Bethany, which is two miles away, to Jerusalem, and it's worked up an appetite in Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you, but when you start exercising a lot, you need lots of fuel as you go through. And we see from the very beginning of this passage one of the many proofs that Jesus Christ is truly human. Now, most Christians are not going to argue with you that Jesus is God. That's a separation from other religions, isn't it? We believe that Jesus himself is fully God, but we read here that he was hungry. I want to recall to you that Jesus is fully man as well. And outside this passage, the only other time we see Jesus is hungry is at the temptation narratives in, 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 in Matthew 4 and in, in Luke as well and Mark. But like all things, Jesus was human like you and me. That's good news for us, guys, because he had a nature like ours yet was without sin. He weeped. He, he just cried over his friend Lazarus in John chapter 11, didn't he? But as he was coming the way to the cross, he suffered pain. He could be weary and needed rest. He was thirsty and needed something to drink. He could be hungry and need food. Yet at the same time, he was the eternal God. And that's such great news for us. Hebrews 7.25 says that he's able to pray for you incessantly, is what the New American Standard says. That this man, Jesus, who is tempted as we are, yet without sin, prays for you constantly. You know, we have a prayer list, and and you get that over email and Facebook and all those sorts of things. And when your name's on the prayer list, some of you feel kind of helpless. You're like, well... If I made the prayer list, does that mean I'm getting ready to die or something? It's one of those things. But it's not that bad. The prayer list is a good thing locally and eternally too. Because this man, Jesus, who is hungry, has you on his prayer list. That's awesome. He prays for you all the time. And the only reason he can identify with us is that he became one of us. Yet he is the eternal God. And Hebrews 7.25 goes on to say he can save you to the uttermost. You know those uttermost places where no one wants to see The deep down crevices where you think things, I think things, we plan things, scheme things that no one else wants to know about or needs to know about. That same place is the same place that God saves you to the uttermost. But yet he was hungry. This man, Jesus, who made all the worlds, who's in in hands the fruits of the earth, the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, go to for everything they need. He was pleased to suffer hunger when he came in the world. And that's a great mystery, guys. We look at this and say, how can he be fully man and fully God? Do you, know what it should do you know what all theology should do to you? It should do this. You want to do that together? Some of you are kinesthetic learners. You just got your learning in for the day. It should blow your mind. He was hungry. He was hungry. And expressions like this should make us sympathize with other people because even our Lord was hungry. Even he was touched by the feeling of weakness and experienced the daily need and the severe sufferings. He tasted pain, weakness, and suffering, yet he loved us all the same. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't Muhammad. It wasn't Krishna. It wasn't Buddha. It wasn't Zoroaster or Confucius. It was Jesus Christ, the God-man who gave his life for us, who hungered. And yet, as a hungry man, you look at this and say, well, if he was hungry and he's God, why didn't he just know that that fruit tree wasn't going to hold any fruit? I mean, come on. He's Jesus. He knows all things, doesn't he? Yes. But there are some times when Jesus acts through his deity, his, his being God, and there are sometimes he acts through his humanity. And here, as acting in his humanity, he's hungry, and he looks around. And look at verse 13. You see what he sees there. It's very clear. He sees a fig tree. Fig trees grew sometimes to 20 feet in length, and these were the national tree of Israel. And and it says that it was not the season for leaves, but you notice there in verse 13, it says, seeing in a distance a fig tree, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. It's springtime. It's around March or April, just as we have Easter here, and and it's not full of figs. It's probably those little green things that start to sprout. I know it's been a long winter, but do you remember those things? Yeah, the buds or, or the nops, you might call them. Um, you can eat those. They're not very good for you. But if you're a survivor man, like Bear Grylls or whatever that guy's name, you eat what you can. When you can, you're hungry, you eat. But this tree had no food. It had nothing on it. it. Its leaves promised one thing, but it wasn't produced. It, in a sense, it was a fraudulent, hypocritical fig tree. The leaves on the outside said, come here. I can feed you. Come eat off me. But really, when you come to it, you've been deceived because it had no substance to it at all or substance. And what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is predicting what is to come, guys. He is using this tree that it's not in its final harvest. It will not bear fruit. And so Christ judges it because of it. It is the same way. The house of God is not in its final moment of harvest. We are not yet to the second coming of Christ, whenever that will be, but it will not bear fruit because of where it is with Christ. This is sort of confusing because Jesus is literally not speaking a prophetic thing that's going to happen later on necessarily. It is, but he's literally acting out the parable in front of his disciples. Jesus here is predicting the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 that came. It's in your history books. Even the History Channel agrees with that. It's coming. But what he is doing is that he's saying that these people, the people who oversaw the nation of Israel, which is here shown as a fig tree, are shown to be without fruit. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders who oversaw its operation, they were so far away from where God wanted them to be, they were like this barren fruit tree, had a great appearance on the outside, but had no fruit on the inside to eat. Here was a people that gave an outward sign, but in close inspection, exposed as a hypocrite. Now, you've never had that happen in your life, have you? You've never had someone look at your life and say, wow, you must be the most super spiritual Christian ever. And then you do something, and you really blow it, and they look at you, and they say, how could you have done that? And you say, I have no idea, but... A sinner I am, but thank God he's forgiven me. But this temple was so big, so impressive. The nation was so, it was just like a whirlwind of things, but it was all sham. That's why every church that you judge by its fruit do not care what happens up here on the stage. You can have all the lights, all the fog machines. You can have all the silence in the church you want. You can have a routine Baptist church like ours. It doesn't matter what the outward appearance is, guys. It matters what's on the inside, does it not? When Jesus, when, excuse me, when uh, the Samuel, the prophet came and was asking, you remember the story back in 1 Samuel 16, when uh, Samuel came to ask uh, Jesse about his sons, they were looking for the king of Israel. Remember, the David and his brothers all paraded through, and, and all David's brothers were bigger and stronger and faster and, and more military experience, and God said, none of these. And they brought in the puniest little shepherd boy. And God said, that's my guy. Because I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the inward most heart. That's why we have to be very careful how we judge other Christians. Because sometimes the way that we judge Christians is simply by how much blessing they have. We have the same problem that Job had back in his day, don't we? That if they're not things are not going well for them, then clearly God must not be blessing them. We know that's not true. Guys, we look at things so much on the outward appearance and there was no gospel in this nation of israel there was nothing that was happening and so jesus curses it right there as an example of what was to come and so jesus curses fraud that's the first thing that we see if our lord did it then could he still do it now is god still in this business i mean does he still judge churches and judge denominations you need to pray for our denomination, folks, Southern Baptist Convention, and I, I bear this openly because it's come out in the open. In the Houston Chronicle two weeks ago, some great old wounds were exposed, and I won't go on that from the pulpit, but thank God that things are riding the ship, but just because the Southern Baptist Convention has 15 million members and is the largest denomination does not mean we are outside what could be the fraudulent behavior that these people that Jesus is cursing is there to do. How many churches have people or full of people who profess Christ but want nothing to do with Jesus past that day? And Charles Spurgeon well said that the great majority of persons who have any sort of religion at all bear leaves, but they produce no fruit. Would you pray for your church? First Peter four, nine says that judgment should begin with the house of God. Guys, God may be refining our church at different times. We may not know. Would you pray, God, would you help us to bear fruit? Help us to bear fruit in our character before you. Help us to bear fruit of the Spirit one to another. Lord, help us to bear fruit. We don't want to be a church that is like this fig tree who had the great show on the outside, but in the inside there was nothing but nothing. Would you pray that for our church, that God protects us? Husband, or would you pray that for your family? If you're a godly husband, you have a great responsibility, don't you? Whether you're older or younger, or if you're getting into it, you have a responsibility to lead your family. Would you pray that you're not just a family that shows up on Sunday morning and then goes out and lives a a, a religious, perhaps, life, but but a life that's not centered on Christ? Husbands, would you pray that for your wives? Wives, would you pray that for your husbands? Kids, would you pray that for your mom and dad? Because there's nothing more. Despicable than when kids call out your own sin in front of you because of how you've done. That's never happened to you before, has it? Well, Dad, you told us not to do this, and why did we just do this? We'll talk about it later, son, right? That's what you do. But this tree was so bad. The fraud was so bad. that we, So many atheist commentators, if you look at the commentary, they say, well, why would Jesus curse this poor tree? It's an example lesson of what is to come. He's cleaning house. Next week, Jesus is going to go into the temple, and he's going to overturn tables. He's going to take a whip, and he's going to whip them into place. And people are going to look at him and say, you're nuts. And he's going to say, you've turned my house into a den of robbers and a den of thieves. This is God's church. We treat it not as Darren's church, as Nelson's church, as anyone's church. here. This is the Lord's church. Amen? And therefore, what we do in here makes a big difference out there. But how we do it in here makes a big difference up there, if that makes any sense. Friends, would you pray that our church is not like that fig tree? It looks really good. Our website's really slick. We got cool Facebook videos and uh, uh Nelson has cool illustrations every Proverbs he reads each week. And Darren has some funny jokes every now and then. But in the inside, there's nothing. And I know that's not your heart, church. I know you well enough. But would you pray that we don't slip into autopilot, to neutral in our spirituality here at this church. Because Jesus curses fraud. But secondly, he also curses fruitlessness. Fruitlessness. We're going go to the second point, Amy, if we will. Thank you notice verse 14 notice what he does i mean uh notice what he does here verse 14 he just goes for it and he said to it may no one ever eat fruit from you again now if you're a disciple following jesus you're thinking jesus what did this fig tree ever do to you it's not even the time for the harvest and you're already cursing it that's really i mean to be honest that's really weird I mean, that's like you go to the local park and you say, die, tree, never come again. People would look at you like you're strange. But this isn't a stranger, is it? This is the one who knows no stranger, who knows all things, who knows the hearts of all men, because as the scripture says, he knows what's in man. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. This fig tree is an example of something that's been around forever. Jeremiah 8, Jeremiah 29, Hosea 9, Joel, Micah, it goes on and on and on. But this is what we know. This nation of Israel that was supposed to be a beacon of light for so many had turned their backs, and Jesus said, finally, you're done, you're done, you're done. And it says, now, without any doubt, the disciples heard this, They knew it would happen. They knew it was coming. They didn't know what it would look like. And this is no tale, myth, or legend or conjured up point. There's theology here, and it's simply this. Unfruitfulness now may result in fruitlessness forever. That's a scary statement. Let me be very clear on what I'm saying right here. And I think Jesus draws this out later, as we'll see next week especially. We are not saying that if you are truly a Christian, that you can lose your salvation. We believe that you are held by the love of God and the grace of God, the same God who there's nothing that can separate you from him, height, depth, anything in all creation can ever take away the love of God from you. That The same Jesus in John 10 who said, there's no one who can snatch me out of your hand. We're not saying, and Jesus isn't saying that if you're truly saved, that you lose your salvation. That's terrible theology. It's man-centered theology. But what he is saying is that, Christian, beware. You need to match your profession with fruit in your life. If you go through life and you say you believe in Jesus, but there's no fruit to back it up, be very aware. That's scary. Because there are many people in many churches who have been going for many, many years, perhaps you here today, who you have professed Christ decades ago, and, and many of those people who professed it with you have walked away. You know, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine, my, my, my best friend Brian Peters, who's going to listen to this, and we were recounting our days at William Jewell back in the early 2000s about how many people went into ministry and how many people professed Christ. And, and would you know, we came up with a list of less than 12 people out of probably close to, I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, there's probably close to 100 people maybe who were in the ministry. Some have turned atheists. Some have turned agnostic. Some have gone into Buddha Buddhism and all these things. People who proclaim Jesus is coming back have now walked away. Scary, isn't it? Parents, you know people in your life who have this exact same thing, don't you? Maybe your kids, your grown kids. Pray for them. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that God protects them from that. But pray also that they produce fruit. Colossians 1 says that you should have a fruitful life. John 15, Jesus says that you are called, you are appointed for fruitfulness. What does that mean? That means your life is going to match what you say. If you say you believe in Jesus, then you're going to match it. You're going to walk as he walked, 1 John 2. You're going to do what he says to do. And that sounds so easy, doesn't it? But how many Christians, people who profess Christ, are not there? But unfruitfulness now may result in unfruitfulness forever. Acts 17, 25 Jesus, God, or Paul, through uh, speaking through the Holy Spirit, says that neither he is served by human hands, though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath and all things. Friends, God doesn't need us, but he tells us very clearly, if we are not showing forth fruit and profess Christ, we need to check whether we have Christ at all. It is we who desperately need Him. We need Him to save us. We need Him to make us fruitful and useful and to turn our backs on Him and His gospel, to turn His church, as the Jewish leaders did, into a religious club of idolatry, of hypocrisy and unfruitfulness. We will not receive His blessing, but His cursing. There are so many churches that die a slow death because they prefer their individual preferences over the glory of God. Tower of you, may that never happen here. If we change a song every now and then, if we change a structure every now and then, we can have those collegial debates biblically and all those things, but at the end of the day, may our individual preferences never override the clear commands of Scripture, whatever that is. If we follow Christ that simply like a child, we will be okay. This is why churches that focus on nationalism, that focus so much on if we can just get the right person in politics at the right time in politics and do this and do that, then we're going to be the best church ever, and nothing will stop the power of the gospel. Let me tell you this. The gospel started with 11 uneducated, untrained people who just spent time with Jesus, and they turned the world upside down. Some churches are so regional, you know, if we can just start a network of churches like us, if we can replicate our DNA and how we do church, then we're going to make the biggest, greatest church system ever, and everyone's going to get saved. Well, that hasn't happened either yet. We had a reformation for that same reason. Or some churches say, if we can just get the right same people, if we can get like a waffle, if we can get all the runners in one church, all the triathletes in another church, all the video gamers in another church, all the bearded guys in another church, all the sewing ladies in another church, if we just have all these pockets of churches, we're going to reach people where they are everywhere we go. And they're going to be the best churches ever. Guess what? This is why when someone says, I don't go to church because I'm a hypocrite. There's hypocrites there. You can point back and say, well, guess what? You went to Walmart today, didn't you? and you still bought your milk. and There were hypocrites there. The point is, is that if a church, if a national organization, if anyone who claims the name of Jesus is not showing forth fruit now, they never had the fruit to begin with. That's what Jesus is telling them. This nation who had so long been told by the prophets again and again and again and been humbled again and again and again, it just took three centuries and they were already back this way scary and mark my words jesus sees all he knows all he and his eyes are like a fiery flame and he will expose for what it is can i ask you to pray a dangerous thing for this church would you pray that god would expose sin in this church if there be any that needs to be exposed why would we do that because you know what we are best together when we are honest together We are best together when we don't walk around pretending like everything's okay when things are not okay, whether that's individually, as a group, or as a church. Our best church life happens when we realize, yes, we are sinners. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've sinned, but together, we don't want to walk that road, Jesus. We want to walk the road of blessing that's fruitful with wherever you call us to be. Let me close with just a few quick faith lessons, and we will be out. What does this mean for us? And I've hit on some of these, but first off, outward realities mean nothing to Jesus. He demands reality. I can remember growing up in church, as many of you can, that people would walk down the aisle saying hallelujah and walk out the door, and you'd see them through the week, especially when I grew up in a small town, and you'd see nothing of anything they said they professed. Would you pray? The reality of God's work in your life is real. It's not fake. I love this church because we we try to make as authentic living as we. If you're visiting with us, these are the most real, genuine people you'll ever meet. Some of them have some bad sports picks and bad sports teams, but we love them anyway. But the reality is, is that we desire at this church not just to be a performance-based church. We desire that our hearts are worn everywhere we go because that's what Christ has called us to do. We don't want people just to come in and be happy-clappy and then walk out and be sinny-winny, if that's even a phrase. We want Christ glorified. And Jesus doesn't care about outward appearance. He cares what's in the heart. Yes, he does. But that heart should show forth in a way that's honoring him. Second thing is this. Not only does Jesus care about the outward realities, but he also cares that we care more about the fruit of the Spirit more than the gifts of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? The fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. So often and, and I thought about this, you always want to apply to your church. We're not just speaking generally, but, but Christ wants us more about the love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm probably missing one in there. But Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he doesn't care how gifted we are. He doesn't care how eloquent we are. He doesn't care about those things. He would rather us be the most simple, faithful people who, who, Brother Dave, we read this last night at the men's dinner, who live godly, quiet lives, which is pleasing to our Savior, than to have a big thing of a show. This is why we can have the biggest event here every year for whatever cause it is. But if we are not showing forth the fruit of the Spirit to one another, it really matters not. Because Christ is not glorified in how we as a church are coming together. The aim of killing the weeds is that the fruit of the Spirit might flourish. And if we're more about the show than the Savior, then we are doing it wrong, quite frankly. I love this church because we don't try to be flashy. You get, a, you, get, you get your pastor in Mr. Rogers gear and everything else, and it all just works out. Praise God. And it is what it is. We are who we are. And it's not about us comparing us to other churches, but I just my prayer this week is that our life and our church is built around the Spirit. And, and uh, a brother and I have been studying this. R.C. Sproul's, or, or excuse me, uh, Sinclair Ferguson's study of the Holy Spirit, he talks about the Spirit being a divine homemaker in your life that our church should be like a home that God has set up so that we can glorify Him, by which we praise Him and call Him out and others to come to Christ. Thirdly, not only these things, but when God is ready to act, we have to be ready to move. When God is ready to act, we have to be ready to move. And so often, Israel was not even following the basic things that God told them to, and so Jesus curses them in a sense, and so often we want to move forward to where God is moving, but before we get there, we have to be ready. And in order to be ready, we have to know that Our lives have to be ready. So often we talk about, you know, God, bring a revival to this area. Bring a revival to this church. Bring a revival to this area. But so often we forget that the revival starts when we turn on that smartphone. We turn on that TV. We go searching on the Internet, and we look at things, think about things, and do things that just break God's heart. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about a list of rules. What I'm talking about is... Our lives so ready that when God says, go, church, that we're ready to go. Lord, break our hearts for these things. Every move of God that we move towards God is a result of his powerful grace towards us in Christ. That's why I love Second Timothy 4.2. Preach the word be, in, be uh, in season and out of season. There's never a convenient time to follow Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're here today and, and you say, man, when I get all my ducks in a row, uh, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's never going to happen. I used to think that when we had our first kid, you know, if we we just get a schedule down, I can get back to having my old life. You know, I'm going to get up and run and do all these things. You know what? Parenting is like the greatest energy and time drain ever, amen? But it's the greatest blessings as well. And spiritually, folks, when God is ready to act, we have to be ready to move. And in order to get there, we need to pray, Lord, let me not live a double life, but let me live a singular life to your glory. And that's what it's about. Lastly, this. Jesus is not interested in big religious crowds. He's already had one, and it crucified him. He wants a fully devoted disciple, few as they may be. Our job is not to fill rooms. It is to f- make disciples. Now, by making disciples, if that fills rooms, praise God. But our job is not to make every opportunity Other than to be faithful in what God tells us to be faithful, Jesus doesn't need our help to make him famous. He's already famous because he's Jesus. Every plant, Matthew 15, 13, my heavenly Father has planted will be rooted up. Friends, we are called to be the salt of the earth, not the sugar of it. And because of that, when we go forward, friends, we pray, God, keep us from these things that will keep us from anything you have in our lives that keep us from glorifying you. I'm being vague in a lot of ways this morning, because I want you to just go home and pray, Lord, what is it in my life that's keeping me from living the best for you, to glorifying you the best? Lord, what is it in our church that we are not doing or or that we are doing, perhaps, that is not pleasing to you or needs to be pleasing to you? Lord, break our hearts for that. The story about the fig tree, it just seems so silly when you think about it and you look at it, but it really was Jesus' care that every part of the nation that he called out from uh, from the beginning of time, before time even, would honor him. Guys, God has put you, if you're a member or tender here at Tower View at this time, at this place, in this opportunity. Lord, what is it that you want me to do with that? Look, we could have a, we could invite all the people around to come to an event, and that's great. But if we are not living out the very things we say week by week, day by day, then we're missing the point. And I've really had to look at my own life in that this week, to be honest with you, because there are things that I know that I struggle with, that maybe you might struggle with, that I I look and I say, man, I, I, Lord, I'm supposed to preach this, but I'm I struggle in these areas. Where where where's that line, guys? There's no one perfect except our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. But thank God there is grace to go forward. Church, my prayer for you is this, is that you and I together show forth fruit. That when they look at Tower View Baptist Church, they say, man, that's some pretty cool grass that's mowed there. That's awesome. They got a nice sign, and it's a pretty sign. Way, it, it, you've probably seen it a million times if you've been here. Those are great things the thing I want our church to be known by is the very thing Jesus prayed for, that they would know us by our love for one another and our fruit towards the world. That's what we're called to be. And Israel was not doing those things. And Jesus said, I'm done with you. You're done. 80, 70, some 35 years later, the ship sank. Friends, as long as we have breath, may this church, our lives, glorify God when people watch and when people don't, because that's what it's all about. Will you pray with me as we close out this morning? Father God, thank you so much. Lord, this is a tough, uh, these are the hard sayings of Jesus, and we're getting into more of them as we go through this chapter, as you know, Lord. Father, there's no easy way to preach this because we, we know this instinctively. This is how we are to be, but Father, so often we fail practically, experientially, Father, but we thank you for your great love that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, not because we were worthy. Lord, you know the, the beginning from the end, but you died for us, and you gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. I pray for those who are regular attenders and members here, Lord. I pray that as we see, we pray for Grace Moore and Maple Park. We pray for this whole area. Father, as we reach out with the gospel, that, Lord, we may not have all the resources, we may not have all the opportunities that so many have, but, Father, keep us faithful and fruitful in the things that we are. Father, I pray for those visiting that, Lord, you work this in their hearts, wherever that is. Thank you so much. For those watching, perhaps, this or listening later online, Lord, be glorified there as well. Lord, we want your power, not our man-made concoctions. And that starts by acknowledging the fact that you are the one who calls us. You are the one that equips us. Help us, Lord, to work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling. But, Father, at the same time, knowing that you are the one who takes us from point A to point B. Lord, help us walk that fine line. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said. Amen. I ask you to stand.